opening our Bibles to the book of Acts, beginning with chapter 1. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Monday, July 17th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. The book of Acts takes us back to the earliest days of Christianity, unveiling the incredible acts of the apostles and the growth of the early church. Perhaps it's better called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, since the sending of the Holy Spirit to his church is the power behind everything that happens. Acts, often seen as the bridge that carries us from the Gospels into the Epistles, offers a first-hand account of how the apostles and Jesus' other disciples respond to his death and his resurrection. It makes us witnesses to the beginning of the fulfillment of Jesus' command to spread the Gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. We're going to encounter miracles and wonders. We're going to see the church struggling to organize itself in the absence of Jesus. And we're going to learn of the trials and the tribulations the early Christians faced in a world that rejected them. So as you can imagine, there's a lot we can learn from these early days of the church and apply to our lives today. But we start at the beginning, naturally, with chapter 1. Luke seems to be continuing the account he began in his gospel. He recalls for us when Jesus promised a baptism of the Holy Spirit to his disciples, and we come along as the evangelist then recounts for the second time Jesus' ascension into heaven before moving on to how the apostles dealt with replacing Judas, who had betrayed Jesus. This morning, to help us as we open up the book of Acts with chapter 1, I'm pleased to welcome as my guest the Reverend Jacob Herkamp, pastor of St. Peter Lutheran, uh, pardon me, pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Noblesville, Indiana. Good morning, Pastor Herkamp, and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you so very much for having me back. It's a blessing to be with you this morning. Excellent. I, I stumbled a little bit when I introduced you because you are at a new congregation now. Um, I won't ask you how it's going, but I, I will say that uh, it's, it's great that you've, uh, you've changed locations. Uh, uh, I, I pray that that was a good transition for you. Yes, I was actually installed yesterday to the Office of Pastor at Christ Lutheran Church, so it's still a um, new um, title for myself as well to get used to. <laughs> Good. Well, well, God's blessings on your ministry there and amongst the saints there, and you Thank are you. continuing your Ph.D. studies, I assume, and I think that things are going well for you in that department also, right? Yes, by God's grace, everything is uh, moving along very well. I'll be uh, starting another class here probably in the next uh, two weeks. Wow. Well, you're a super busy guy. I'm glad that you took out some time to, well, help us get into the book of Acts. Now, I'm going to confess something here. I'm, I'm not a, a heavy student of the book of Acts. I've certainly preached on the events. I've read it many times, but I've never really sat down. I don't believe I've ever run a Bible study on it in my nearly 15 years of pastoral ministry. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to this, and I hope the people at home are too really get, taking time, making a slow walk through the book, chapter by chapter, as we recall how God worked through these early Christians. I, I'm pretty excited about it, and I'm glad you're here to start us off in style. Um, before we get into anything, though, would you begin our time together and our whole study with prayer? Let us pray. Most merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the gift of your Holy Spirit that you speak to us through your Holy Word. We pray that you would bless us in our study of of this holy word, the book of Acts, and we give you thanks, O Lord, for the opportunities to uh, see and learn how you worked and continue to work in your church by your Holy Spirit and your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to kind of follow your lead here. Uh, I, I do think 
just because of how it is, I, I want to uh, begin with the first uh, verse through uh, the fifth verse, right? Just We're just going to read five verses, but obviously we're going to take quite a bit of time to talk about Acts, who, who's writing it, where it's coming from. But just so that we can get in, right into the Word right away, I'm going to read a few verses. Here we go. Go ahead. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, brother, the book of Acts. Acts, I, I believe, stands for, it's a shortened version of the Acts of the Holy Apostles. But I said earlier, and I've heard said before, perhaps we should call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because that's really, that's really what's going on. You know, however you want to start it, just tell us a little bit about what we're getting into with this book. Well, I would actually, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I would let Luke um, tell us a bit more about the title that he has in mind. Because in the first verse there, you have the, in the first book, O Fleophilus, which, which really is a uh, meaning lover of God. So the question some people ask is, is Luke writing to a particular man named Theophilus, or is Theophilus anybody who is hearing uh, or reading this book that Luke has written? And then he gives us the second little phrase there, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So I wonder if Luke would actually state that this is the continuation of the acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit that he will send to his apostles not many days from now. So I, I'm curious, you know, I would love to talk to Luke in heaven and ask that question. So do you have Jesus in mind or the Holy Spirit? And my guest would probably say, duh, both. Well, yes, of course, both. You so, know, it's funny, I think those things too, of course, by the time we get there, we're not going to care, right? But, exactly. But but you know what? You're right. You know, G Luke in his Gospel of Luke really dealt with Jesus and the things that he did and taught uh, while on the ground, so to speak. And and the book of Acts really is what Jesus is doing as he rules from heaven. Uh, and it, then, of course, certainly through the Holy Spirit, and then, of course, certainly through the apostles. So, yeah, yeah no, it's a, it's a style, fun, it's a fun yeah, we'll, thing. We'll say they all count, but yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this Theophilus, and, and you're right, that's like the first little hang-up. It's only a couple words in, and we're already running into, like, what does this mean? I'm in the camp, by the way, that Theophilus— um, from phileo to love and theos from God. I, I do. I think it is not a patron who's paying for Luke's way. I don't think it's a individual. I've always sort of understood it, and I certainly can be wrong. Don't don't misunderstand anybody out there. But I've always kind of thought, yeah, this is this is just a a pseudonym for all those believers who are interested in how God is working. But heck, for all we know, it could very well be an actual guy, um, and is just an incredibly convenient name. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful thing um, and uh, a, a very helpful way to at least put ourselves into uh, the situation and into the conversation with Luke and Luke being the great storyteller that he is and reporter. I mean, he's going to continue talking about how he um, is there on 
well, for, for the book of Acts, he is a um, eyewitness of some of the accounts um, that, he, that he writes down. In the Gospel of Luke, he is the, the great reporter going around and making sure and confirming with the witnesses um, of the events that he writes down. And now he is making sure again, hey, this stuff that I have written for you, I have seen with my own eyes or have um, spoken with those men who are in the midst of these things. And we're going to hear again and again in the, uh, in the book of Acts, as the apostles bear witness, Peter is going to say, we are witnesses of these things, which is exactly what Jesus is going to say at the time of the ascension before he sends them out to bear witness um, as his apostles, his ambassadors of this blessed gospel. And, you know, the way I always teach and preach it, too, is that the Scriptures makes us witnesses, too. Because you're right, you know, Luke will speak in the first person. You know, not only is he digging up this information from reliable sources, not only is he recalling his own experiences, but then as we get into some of the travels of Paul and stuff, you know, Luke's hanging out with him. He's going with them. He's, he's doing the work with them, and he's reporting what he's seeing on the ground. So you take this eyewitness testimony— that you take this well-researched testimony and you combine that with the fact that the Holy Spirit is indeed inspiring it all, it's amazing to read this book of how the early church was dealing with, with well, just the new reality that the Messiah, long awaited for centuries, um, he's come, uh, but now he's gone, so to speak. What, what do we do? What does that mean? Um, what is God going to do next? I think it might be a good idea. I don't know that we're going to cover anything today that's really going to um, challenge us in this way, but we will. And what I'm getting at is, do we read the book of Acts prescriptively or descriptively? Um, again, the answer is both, I'm sure, according to context, but explain to the people why I might ask that, you know, and why they should know the difference. Well, there has been in the past, and this is a really good question because we come across this every once in a while where people say we need to get back to the days of the early church and the church needs to be like the book of Acts and we need to have church services and houses um, and the like and have small groups um, like this. And um, a little later in the book itself, we're going to hear about the people selling the entire fields and giving all the money to the uh, to the church, and then we're going to hear that how they lived with everything in common with one another. Um, and the question is, is do we follow that as law? That's how the church should be, um, which would be the prescriptive um, idea of how Acts works prescriptively, telling us exactly how we ought to have the church government um, and the like. Or is it descriptive in the sense of this is how people were doing things um, in understanding how God um, desires his people to live in love and mercy for and compassion for one another. Um, and this is just how it arose in, in the early days of the church. So that would be a descriptive um, understanding. And those are really important because sometimes when we have um, the understanding that this is prescriptive, well, then the, the church that you or I um, pastor right now um, we look at that and say, well, that's not what we see on a Sunday morning. Um, and then we would be uh, burdened to uh, follow what Acts lays out and try to get our churches to move in that direction. Well, that's not exactly um, always helpful. 
But if we do recognize that this is a descriptive, um, or de a description of the church in showing how mercy and love and compassion are shown across um, across the aisle, so to speak, or in the pews and the like, um, we can then say, oh, well, we are following in the spirit of that love and compassion, um, knowing how God has shown us mercy through Jesus Christ. We can see how acts, the people were having mercy upon each other. We ourselves in our day and age um, continue to have such mercy um, displayed to us, and thus we display mercy to one another, following in that same vein. I hope that makes sense. No, it does. And and like j just like we have to have this proper distinction between law and gospel, we talk about that all the time. I think it's important to understand a proper distinction between when the Bible is giving us an eternal principle and when it's giving us a particular practice. And and that again, we run into these things not just in Acts but in all of the epistles. Things will pop up like women should cover their heads. Uh, yeah. Well, if yeah. you don't understand the grander context, what the actual um, sinful or disruptive behavior was, you get people pinning doilies to their heads when they walk into church, and and that 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 misses the point completely. Uh, well, we're going if I if I'm sorry to interrupt you, no, but a little bit further uh, down in our chapter one, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but you'll notice um, a little later in we 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 will have a prescription mm. um, given to us um, when. Peter is working to replace Judas as one of the 12. Verse 21, 121. So keep that in your head. Yeah, that's um, a little later. Put a note on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Coming up soon, probably after the break in a few yeah. minutes. But, you know, right here at the beginning, we've gotten through, you know, Luke is the writer. He's, he's continuing his gospel, really. Um, I love in verse 3, though, that he, just before he gets to anything else, he wants Theophilus or us, or and us, to know that Jesus is alive. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering uh, by many proofs. Now, we could go through all those proofs. Of course, we could just spend two or three shows on those proofs. But, you know, he's talking about Mary Magdalene, the women at the tomb, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He's, he's talking about uh, Thomas. He's talking about the disciples without Thomas, uh, the disciples fishing in Galilee, the 500 believers. You know, he's talking Saul and Paul. He's he's talking about all these different things that he is, he and the other evangelist have revealed that Jesus showed himself to be alive, and that's so important because the early church is going to be combating the I guess lie or the rumor that your leader is dead. You have no leader. We've cut off the head. You're really just chasing after a lost cause. And so Luke, I don't think, uh, in uh, just coincidentally begins with this, Jesus is alive. Yeah, um, and we're going to have a conversation about this a little later um, in the book of Acts when the Sanhedrin meets together and they're trying to figure out what to do with Peter and John. I think it's Acts 4, um, where everybody is wondering, okay, Pete, we've told them not to preach in the name of Jesus, and yet they keep doing it. And one of the great teachers, Gamaliel, stands up and says, if this is not of God, they will die away and it will just go off on its own. But if it is from God, we need to be very careful. Um, and here is Luke already reminding us, okay, this is what Jesus has already done. He is, he is now in his ex exalted state, um, alive and well, and he is continuing to work because the... Um, 
the first verse again goes back to what Jesus began to do. And this is an ongoing work. Even after Jesus is ascended to the right hand of God, he is still alive and well and still working. His gospel is going out into the world um, so that all might know him as Lord and Savior. Luke is overlapping some of the things that he's already revealed in his gospel, and we see that in verse 4. You know, Luke 24, verse 49, uh, Luke records, Jesus says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Here in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And then Luke 3.16 is when Jesus said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. I'm sorry, John said those things. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. John said those things. Um, but now we have Jesus's quote. Uh, he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit Pentecost, all that exciting stuff is actually going to be covered tomorrow. Uh, but uh, talk a little bit, though. The Holy Spirit has already been given to them, breathed upon them. We see the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament. We see it working—I mm -hmm. uh, see him, I should say—working among, uh, uh, among the disciples in the Gospels. This giving of the Holy Spirit happens again and again, um, but there is a special event on the horizon. I think that's what most people think of when they think of Book of Acts. They think of Pentecost. Yeah, and that's a that's a wonderful um, image to have in your head about the Book of Acts because effectively on that day, um, I think we typically only think of the twelve receiving the the tongues of fire, um, and I wonder if it's actually the whole gamut of the disciples mm -hmm. um, who are there because we're going to learn pretty soon that there's more than just the twelve sitting around together. Uh, there's going to be in verse 15, we hear there's about 120 people in all um, at this point in the uh, in the book of Acts who are called disciples, followers of Jesus, if you will, um, with the 11 being the major players uh, to this point in the addition of Matthias a little later. Um, and of course, Paul further down the line. But the uh, the idea is, is that what Joel prophesies when it comes to the um, day of Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, it's not just 12 men, uh, but we're talking about sons and daughters and old men um, and even servants um, speaking the words of the Lord. And so um, this is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, not just upon a particular group of people per se, but on all the world that they might all know and um, be pointed to Christ as their Savior, as that is the proper work of the Holy Spirit uh, that we learn from John, from Christ himself. The Holy Spirit will make you know the truth. One of the things, though, that I have to bring up is the language Jesus uses here, and, and we understand what it means. But um, as we confess one baptism um, mm -hmm. for the forgiveness of sins, we confess it in our creeds, we confess it in our practice— um, for John baptized with water, Jesus says, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I think we have a right understanding of this, that in our baptisms, we, uh, are, we receive the Holy Spirit, who bestows within our hearts faith, which then grows as we um, <laughs> receive the gifts of God through word and sacrament. 
But there are church bodies out there who will say that, you know, this is a second baptism. And I don't want to steal all the thunder from tomorrow's show. We're going to talk about this extensively tomorrow. But just touch on it a little bit for people who might be tripped up by Jesus basically saying, you're going to be baptized a second time. That's that's anathema to us Lutherans. But but what is he what is he really referring to? Well, I think what, and this is not, I'll, I'll confess right now, I've always had a question about John's baptism in relation to Jesus's baptism sure, um, sure. and the baptism of the Holy Spirit because um, of how similar they are um, in, in the various gospels. But what is happening, I think, is John is pointing to the, um, the work that Christ will do. And now that the Holy that, that Christ has accomplished his salvific work at the cross and has risen from the dead, um, in this baptism that the that occurs with Pentecost, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit for these men and for the, the 120 disciples and the like, um, what we see is is the culmination of what the baptism truly will be, if that makes sense. Now that these men were prepared by being disciples, many of them were disciples of John um, prior to becoming disciples of Jesus, as we learn from the Gospel of John. Um, they were baptized by John in preparation and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And now here they are being prepared for the, uh, the work that Christ has called them to do, to be, um, to be his witnesses um, from Jerusalem and going further, how are they able to be such witnesses? They're going to be witnesses according to um, Christ's promise, having the Holy Spirit with them. So I think it's a culmination, if that makes any sense, yeah. for, for us here. Now, for our baptism, like you rightly said, uh, we have the um, everything, since we're already on the backside of the cross and Christ's um, resurrection, it all comes to us at one time. I hope that... You know, I agree. Sense. You know, I, I think that when, when we get into chapter two, I can already predict that a lot of the discussion will center on uh, speaking in tongues and what that means. And, and rightly yes. so, because that's also extremely confusing to people. But here we definitely have this connection with this baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's going to come up again in chapter 11. But as you also rightly said, baptism of John's a little different. And baptism as a concept is not unheard of. In Judaism, um, you know, when a Gentile would convert to Judaism, they would be baptized. They would immerse themselves um, as a symbol of their new identity, um, as representative signification of transformation and purity and identity. Um, and you might be hearing me say things like symbol and and representative, and but that's that's what it was. This practice of immersion is the, sort of the backdrop that Jesus then takes and gives new meaning, and that's not unusual either. We see that with the Passover, which is fulfilled in the Lord's Supper. We see even um, the concept of the going across the Red Sea is utilized to indicate being brought uh, safely across into God's kingdom. And we see baptism is taken by Jesus and given uh, or fulfilled, I should maybe even say, with power and meaning. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think John the Baptist's baptism is a lot more akin to the the more uh, Jewish understanding of, you know, repenting and then and then making that commitment, which unfortunately many Christians continue to proclaim about baptism, which is clearly not true. And I think we're seeing right here the beginnings of when Jesus is going to make that change with baptism. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. 
So he then covers something he's also covered again before, which we're going to go ahead and dip into, and that is going to be the ascension. Um, and and in doing so, he really is making that great connection between uh, the end of his gospel and the beginning of this book. He's kind of giving us a little recap, a little, uh, but not just a recap. He actually elaborates a little bit, but let's start with verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, that's Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, and as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's the end of verse 11, which is where we're going to pause. So, I, I do love this. You know, we, we've seen this attitude amongst them time and again with Jesus, even kind of after Jesus. Um, but he, they say, all right, Lord, is it, is it time? Is it time? Are we going to we're going to run out? We're going to run out the Romans. Um, it, it, this is the, the kingdoms now, right? We're going to we're going to we're going to have this uh, great kingdom in Israel and you're going to sit on the throne of David and we're going to be large and in charge again. Um that that attitude is 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 really hard for them to shake because I guess they were raised up believing that that's what the Messiah was going to do. Yeah, it is a it is a very funny question after everything that they have just witnessed. Um, to hear them go back to this, okay, when you when is this whole restoration going to happen, buddy? Um, and I can I'd, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall uh, to watch this uh, and see what Jesus's like facial expressions were um, with this. I'm sure. Um, probably at least may have had a sigh. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Do I have to do this again? Um, but a face palm. I yeah, right. Be out of the, the it, question. Exactly. And you gotta love how he responds. He doesn't actually answer the question um, because the restoration of the kingdom um, it's going to come in a way that uh, no one really expects. It's going to come actually by them being his witnesses. All the way to the ends of the earth. Um, consider how we in the, the Lutheran Church, uh, Missouri Synod, and the Evangelical Lutheran Church speak about um, the coming of God's kingdom. It comes by the preaching of his word, right? And that's where Jesus goes in, in verse 7. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, which is martyr, by the way. Uh, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So how was the restoration of the kingdom going to occur? Well, it's not going to happen by taking out the Romans. It's going to actually occur by something that most of the time looks pretty measly because you can't see it. It's in the preached word where you're going to be my witnesses. You've already begun this. If we re recall what Luke records for us in the Gospel of Luke, um, sending out the 70 or 72, what do, they what do they proclaim? The kingdom of heaven is near, and now it has come. Because Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ has ascended to his throne, and they are witnesses of those things. Well, folks, let's take just a few moments to, uh, you know, take a little break, reflect on what we've heard so far, but don't go anywhere, though. When we return... 
Pastor Herkamp and I will keep on going through Acts chapter 1. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Brew. With me today is the Reverend Jacob Herkamp, pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Noblesville, Indiana. Before we get back to our brand new book, I just want to remind you that you can always reach out to me anytime with your questions or comments at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook. I'm still hanging out over there. Uh, just come and you know, friend request, message me, whatever you want to do. It's fine with me. Now, if you're looking at ways to be able to listen to Thy Strong Word or any of KFUO's great programs kind of on the go, right, away from the radio, you can do that through your favorite podcasting platform. Just subscribe to Thy Strong Word as a podcast. An easier solution, honestly, if you ask me, is just download the KFUO radio app onto your phone. It works on iPhones. It works on Android's phone. If you still have one of those Windows phones, it probably won't work, but it works on any modern phone. And you can listen to the station live from just about anywhere. And you can also subscribe and listen on demand to many of KFUO's great programs. If that's just too complicated for you, just head over to KFUO.org. You can listen live or on demand to all the programs there, too. And you know what? You can also listen on AM850 if you're in the St. Louis area. There's just so many ways to connect with God's Word. I'm glad that you've taken the time out to be with us today as we start this new chapter. Now, brother, before the break, you know, I, I had to cut you off a little bit because we were just getting into the ascension. We were up against a break, but now we're back. And you were talking about how how Jesus's kingdom, the kingdom that's going to come, isn't going to come in ways that are visible. Jesus himself says that. In fact, uh, all the way back to Luke, speaking of Luke chapter 17, verse 20, it says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will people say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God, Jesus says to them, is in the midst of you. They're, I'm not saying they're being Pharisaic, but they kind of are, right? They're not listening to what Jesus has been teaching. And after, I mean, he's risen from the dead. After they have seen and heard everything, some of them are still kind of like, Okay, we know when we sort of asked this the first time you called us down, but surely now is the time. And he, in his mercy, just tells them the truth. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. But as you said, he could have very easily just said, yes, yes, I'm going to restore the kingdom. And you're going to do the restoring, but it's still not going to look like what you're looking like. And probably the reason why he didn't tell them that is because they still wouldn't have understood. They, they would have still thought it was more of an earthly kingdom than uh, being found in those unusual places, right? Like the word and the sacrament. Yeah, exactly. And we, um, what's, what's funny too, is that during the 40 days before his ascension, what's he talking about? He's, 
he's Luke even says he's speaking about the kingdom of God and how the apostles take that. They're looking for that earthly restoration. Um, and Jesus has to, again, do what he does um, and remind them, this is not something that you have, uh, have any knowledge of, um, but you will be my witnesses. And the, the work that they're going to do is to establish his church, um, which, funny enough, uh, will, be ex- will be fulfilling exactly what Jesus says to the Pharisees in Luke 17. Christ himself, the king, will be in your midst. Um, the kingdom is there. Um, and being, being the witnesses that they are called to be, the disciples, the apostles, um, will be uh, proclaiming Christ and doing the acts of Jesus, the works that he um, had begun to do, they will continue to go about doing um, in the world, in Jerusalem, and even beyond. He, he says, too, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Do you think a little bit that they need the Holy Spirit because, if nothing else, they're still thinking too, too narrowly? Because on the one hand, they say, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Um, understanding properly, of course, Israel as, the, as God's people. Yeah, he is, but you're thinking too narrowly when you think of it just being an earthly kingdom. And furthermore, right after he says about the Holy Spirit, he tells them that they're going to be witnesses, but not just in Jerusalem but in Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. We typically think too much about timing in the same way that we sometimes think too narrowly. But God is, or Jesus here, right? As God is saying, I'm going to send you uh, dynamis, right? It's the same word for miracles, power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You know, you're thinking about earthly kingdoms. Boy, you have no idea the work I have set out for you. Yeah, and you're, you're right. Um... The, the work that they are going to have there, that they are going to do, um, thinking of Elijah, for instance, he is fed food for the journey that he's unable to um, take on his own. He can't, he doesn't have the strength. Here, this, the same thing. The apostles do not have the strength. They're very similar uh, in Gethsemane. The spirits may be willing, but the flesh is weak. They need to have the Holy Spirit to do the work that they're going to be um, given to do. Um, and really, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that they um, will bear witness even unto death um, of Christ Jesus. Him chastising them for timing is very, no pun intended, timely for us too, because here we are almost 2,000 years on, and the angel said that Jesus is coming back, right? You, the, this Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And he has not seen fit to do that yet. And so I think we too, not in the sense of, you know, well, are we going to set up earthly rule now? But we certainly will question God's timing. You know, are you returning yet, Lord? Are you returning yet, Lord? Um, and, and we join with the, the John the Divine who says, come, Lord Jesus, right? So we do want it to come, but it's, of course, only going to come in God's timing. But this, this focus on timing has always been, I think, one of our sinful downfalls. Yeah, certainly. And um, the, we've heard plenty of speculation. I mean, every couple of years, it seems like somebody has a new um, estimated time of Jesus's return, right? right. Um, and that's not, that's not helpful. Jesus even says, why, if, if you knew the time or the hour that the robber was coming, you would stay awake. But I tell you, just stay awake. You don't know when the time is coming. 
Um, and what, why is that good? That means we have to live by faith. If we knew when he was coming, there would be no reason to live by faith. Yep, so. the, uh, the coming, behold, a day is coming for the Lord, uh, Zechariah said. And on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, etc. And so that's, that's what yeah. they're saying. They're saying he's coming back in the same way. Uh, you, to quote Jesus uh, from his earlier, you know, you have Moses and the prophets, listen to them. Um, you know, yeah, so it's quite— coming. Yeah, it's it's quite. Um, I mean, it, it's quite a beautiful picture for sure. Especially when you bring up Zechariah, one of my favorite prophets, um, and uh, bringing this up, saying, "Yeah, he started the the victory march started in the Mount of Olives, and by golly, he's going to return to the Mount of Olives and stand um, there as the as the Lord and King, um, and uh, will come exactly the way you saw him go go into heaven. He will come back and." At this point and juncture of our time of waiting, um, we are waiting with great anticipation. We should um, probably, I, I, I appreciate one um, biblical theologian um, who talks of um, the, uh, the anticipatory nature of our faith. Um, we are living in the eschatological last days right now. So every day could be that day. And so we, we keep on praying that prayer of St. John come Lord Jesus. And uh, it doesn't, ultimately, it does not matter when the day comes. If we are living um, according to faith, um, our Lord Jesus will, um, will call us to himself, um, and we will uh, lift up our heads with great gladness when, whenever that day comes. Yeah, sometimes I think we're pretty spoiled, right? Because we think, oh, it's been 2,000 years waiting for the Messiah to return. I think the people in the first century would would laugh at us. You know how long we've waited for the Messiah to come the first time? So, exactly. I mean, God's it's timing a... is simply not our timing. Exactly. Exactly. Well, um, anything else about this? Because it does shift gears here. They're going to try to figure out what to do about Judas. But anything else about this this first introductory part of the first chapter of Acts before we move on? Just note the, um, some of the language that is used again. Um, he's lifted up. So you have the same type of language about Jesus being lifted up upon the cross. He is now lifted up into the air, taking, um, being taken out of the sight of his disciples. Um, then they're gazing into heaven, and who shows up but two angels, men in white robes. Um, same type of language that is um, found in the Gospels concerning um, Christ's resurrection, okay? Um, and then the, uh, the amazement there of just the, the men um, asking the angels, asking that question, why are you looking into heaven? You should know already uh, what's going to happen. And then finally, too, before we go into the Matthias question, um, moving back into Luke just really quickly, instead of um, when they have that question, men of Galilee, why do you stand in the heaven? Um, and the promise that Jesus will return they then go to the temple, praising God in worship. Um, so Luke has just a little bit of a difference uh, between mm -hmm. the gospel and Acts, just to note it's nothing major. But what's really neat is, is how they start verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mouth called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Um, and 13 tells you that they go to the upper room. So here is um, Luke um, foregoing that trip to the temple. 
and taking you right up to the upper room. And I'm sorry for stealing thunder because we haven't read that yet. So no, I will let's be go quiet. ahead and read it. Let's yeah, go ahead. Let's, let's get it out there. Uh, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. All right, that that we'll, we'll stop right there. So that's that's, that's just perfect. a few more <laughs> verses. Yeah, so he does right. They they, they he skips that part, but they go to uh they go from the Mount of Olivet, Olivet rather, and they uh they are in the upper room, I guess, where they've been staying. Uh, take us through that now. Yeah, so um, it's interesting that Luke reminds us um that Olivet is a Sabbath day's journey away. Um, so this is still within a um. During the, when you think about what that means, oh, well, we're talking about the third commandment a little bit here. Um, the Jews required you, did not, re, did not allow you to go any further than so many steps in a day. Um, I can't remember the exact number of steps, but it's all um, in one of their law books. Um, I have a note here do. that it's about three-fifths of a mile, if that helps anybody. There you <laughs> but, go. You know. So, yeah, so all of that's not that far away. Um, remember, Jesus always went to all of that to pray. Um, the Garden of Gethsemane is there. So this is a very important place in the life um, and worship, really, the prayer life, the emotional life of Jesus. And there's no better place for Jesus to have ascended um, back into heaven um, that, that, first, or that ascension day. And then we also have the Sabbath day's journey um, tidbit there to say, well, they are still keeping the law in the eyes of the Pharisees. So even if this is a Sabbath day, which it could possibly have been, who knows? I mean, it was a, for us, we know it's a Thursday, right? Because it's 40 days after the, the day of our Lord's um, resurrection. Um, but it's still a Sabbath day's journey. It's not that far away, so you can still go there um, pretty quickly. And then um, they go up to the upper room, which is exactly likely the same room, which is the upper room that they celebrated um, the Last Supper, and the institution of the Lord's Supper. Um, and we learn um, a little later in the book of Acts that this upper room was owned by the mother of John Mark, um, the author of the gospel called Mark, um, who will also become a um, companion of Paul for a little while later in the book. So just something to keep in mind. So this is probably um, that same upper room um, where they were staying, as it says there. And then we have the names of the apostles themselves, Peter and John and James. Typically, you would have Peter, James, and John in the Gospels, but here you have Peter and John. Um, this makes me wonder, and we learn a little bit later in the book of Acts, James is the first of the apostles to be killed for the faith. He is killed by Herod. Um, so keep that in your back pocket as we go along. And so I wonder if Luke already has this um, being in his mind, James is already with the Lord, and Peter and John are the two head um, apostles, the two leaders, if you want to call them that, Peter being the leader of the, of the twelve, um, and John right there on his tail, and, um, and, right, and, and in his right-hand man. 
Um, but you have the big three, Peter, James, and John, or Peter, John, and James in this case, um, along with Andrew, Philip, Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew. Um, James, the son of Alphaeus, or I believe this would be um, James the last, I think, um, according to um, church tradition. And Simon the Zealot, um, you get the, um, I mean, in this day and age, the term zealot um, it probably the best equivalent could possibly be just, um, lack of a better word, terrorist. <laughs> um, yeah, they're an anti-Roman like political yes. movement. Yeah, they were a political movement against Rome. They did not like um, the Roman occupation. Um, so you have even that type of a guy in the band of the apostles, and then Judas, the son of James. Um, so quite a collection of men. Um, from all walks of life, Matthew being Levi, the tax collector, um, Peter, John, James, Andrew, all being um, fishermen. Uh, we don't know much about Philip and Thomas, uh, too much about their occupations um, and the like, but certainly a, um, a very rugged band um, that were following Jesus. Most <laughs> of them were disciples of, of John the Baptist as well. Very much a motley crew. I mean, just really the definition of it, you know, just yeah. from all walks of life and all that. But isn't that beautiful, the way God works through that? Oh, yeah, and, it's, and, it's and here you have this motley crew who in some ways may not even have—might not have been friends with each other outside of this. And here they are in one accord praying. I, I, that's a picture of the church, if I've ever seen one, right? These people yeah, from different a, lives. Yeah, exactly. And what's even better here is is that they're together— a little later, it says, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his mm -hmm. brothers. Um, so they are not without others. Um, and the women being those women who um, went along with Jesus, ministering to him as he um, did his earthly ministry um, throughout Galilee and Judea. Um, and then Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. It appears now, um, Mary and the entire family um, who are still alive, um, have come around to Jesus being the very Son of God and their Savior. Um, if you remember, say, in the book of Mark, um, the family thinks Jesus is nuts, right? Um, and uh, they, Jesus has to then remind everybody, those who do the will of my Father, they are my mother, my brothers, my sister, um, and the like. But here we have the... Um, the recognition that Mary and his brothers have now finally come around to seeing Jesus as the Lord and Savior in the flesh. Um, in verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture has to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take its office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias, or Matthias. 
And they prayed and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So, so we have here Peter taking charge, not uncommon for Peter. And um, he basically says, we, uh, we got to replace Judas. But I have to admit, it feels very, oh gosh, how can I say this? I, I, academically questioning, it feels a little cherry-picking for the Psalms. I mean, it, the context of those Psalms don't 100%, in my estimation, point to what's going on here. So, so what, what's the thinking behind all of this? Well, um, that is a very good question, and we probably don't have enough time to discuss that right Fair now. Enough. But what Fair we're going to get um, is a lot in the book itself, as we introduce um, Acts and we read through Acts, you're going to see a lot of Old Testament references being made, citations, allusions, and the like. This is one of the fast or the earliest ones that we have, um, a straight citation, really, a straight quotation um, concerning um, the Old Testament in light of the Acts of Judas um, and what needs to occur. When we have just one um, verse being cited, it is always best to go back um, forgive me, what is that text? Um, what is that, what is that the, verse from? Uh, the first 60, one is Psalm, Psalm 69. 69, 25, and the second yeah. one is from 109, 8. Yeah, so um, I don't have that pulled up very fast, but um, it is always good to read around for a greater context because it is likely going to be helpful to have a better give us a better understanding of how this text is being utilized. Um, so um, 69 um, is the, the whole thing is about the suffering of God's servant. Okay. And verse 22 through 28 um, speak directly against those men and women, um, the enemies of the, of the servant, made our table spread before them become a snare and a trap when they feel all is well. That's verse 22. May their eyes turn dark so that they can't see and their loins continually shake. Pour your anger on them. May your blazing fury catch them. I don't think we would, we would um, chant this psalm. Um, we probably won't find Psalm 69 in the Lutheran service book <laughs> as one of the psalms that we would chant during um, a worship service. But the, the idea is, is that if you read the entire psalm, um, you're going to see where Ju like the suffering of the servant occurs, and you can see where Judas played a, plays a part. And so his camp become desolate. Well, he has, he has been judged accordingly. He did not believe that he could be forgiven. He went to the wrong people. They, he fell onto utter despair. Um, so his camp is now desolate. There's no one to dwell in it. Um, let another one now take his office. Comes uh, from Psalm 109. Here is Psalm 109, a curse on the evil man is what that one is. And it just so happens to be right before the, uh, the beautiful text of the one who was king and priest after the order of Melchizedek. So having all of this in mind, having a uh, more contextual understanding um, of how the, how the Psalms are constructed um, and put together may help us have a better view of how Peter um, is reading the Old Testament and having what we would call a lens or a hermeneutic um, in, in reading the Old Testament in light of what Christ has accomplished and what has happened to Christ. I love it. Yeah, it makes sense to me. So it's almost like when we see these verses taken out of context, it's really like a cue to, 
um, say, you should go and look at this. It's not like, well, I'm just taking a verse and, and trying to divorce it from what it was talking about. When you look at those more broadly, you see how it applies. That's wonderful. Yeah, well, and the idea is called metalepsis. That's from Richard Hayes. If you've ever read one of his books, he has a book called Echoes of Scripture in the Gospels, and he hits on that a lot, um, the, the, the idea of metalepsis. So one verse allows you to um, go back and read the entire psalm or the entire section of text uh, to, to have a better understanding of how it's being used. So I was watching TV the other day, and I was flipping through, and I, was, I came across this religious station, and the man was up there preaching— and he had a preaching robe on, and down the arm of his robe in golden letters, he had his title uh, just engraved into, I guess, embroidered into his robe. And his title was Apostle. <laughs> this, these next verses, they, they speak a little bit about who can call themselves an apostle and who can't. There's a reason why we don't use that term today, is there not? Exactly. And before we get there, note verse 21. We were talking about prescriptive and descriptive earlier. So one of the men, that is not anthropos there. That is aner. That is the more, uh, that, that there is a difference between anthropos and aner uh, when it comes to, I'm, I'm forgetting the word and I'm going to uh, butcher it, but uh, the, uh, the anatomy of a man, that's what aner goes with, okay? Um, and anthropos is more generic mankind. So one of the men, those who are men, um, when it comes to male um, genitalia. Um, those who have male equipment, I Exactly. Say. Yes, exactly. Uh, are those who can be apostles. Because remember, they have 120 with them at this time. And the men and the women are all there. So only the men are considered able to be um, one of us, of the apostles. And two, those who saw and witnessed the baptism of Jesus from John until the day Jesus was taken up. Those are the guys who were able to um, join this band of 12. Um, even though the women are there, even though they got to witness much of Christ's earthly ministry, it is only for men. And the term apostle, like you absolutely stated, there is a specific definition to it. There are no living apostles today. Because nobody that I know of has um, remained alive from Christ's baptism until today. And they did choose somebody. They had two men, rather, who met the uh, requirements. Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice, Matthew, and Matthias, right? So Joseph, also called Barsabbas, also called Justice. This guy's a lot of names. And then just Matthias. Um, and then they cast lots, but probably not a recommended way for us to pick leaders today. Or is it? What's your, what's your thought on that? Well, that would certainly, uh, with the upcoming LCMS uh, convention and the like, <laughs> lots might be the best way. <laughs> no, yeah, um, Save a lot of I'm, time. I'm kidding. Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? Um, no, but um, it is certainly, um, I think it's following the Old Testament um, to some extent. Um, we don't have, uh, in the Old Testament, they had Urim and Thummim. Um, which most scholars believe to be some sort of a lot casting system where God could speak through the Urim and Thurim, Thuman, um, to give them the answer. It's more of like a yes and no um, type of an idea. Um, at least that's what I've read about that idea. So casting lots, this is exactly what happened with Jesus's clothing. Um, they cast lots for it. 
Um, so it's not outside the realm of possibilities that they were following that prescription, I guess you could say, if, if you want to say that. Um, but uh, certainly a question that could be raised um, and has been raised a lot is whether or not the disciples are jumping the gun um, on filling this spot um, in the Mary Band of the Twelve because um, you don't hear of Matthias after this point, for instance. You hear a lot more of Paul, right? Yeah. And so you, so people w sometimes wonder if, uh, if Peter... Uh, being as um, forward as he typically is in the Gospels, if he also jumps the gun here. Um, I don't have that opinion. I am of the opinion that this needed to be filled in the days prior to uh, the day of Pentecost um, in preparation for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They wanted all 12 um, positions to be filled for, for this. Um, and um, Matthias was the man for that, um, for that position, um, and was added to the 12. And then later Paul was, um, given his apostleship as well. Um, but it is a question that I'm sure people will spill a lot more ink over, uh, before the Lord Jesus comes again. That is, I'll have to be honest. That's an interesting take that I have yet to hear. But like I said, I haven't done a deep dive on some of this stuff. So it's always exciting to hear these new ideas, um, even if you don't personally subscribe to them, right? We like to like to academically explore these things. But ultimately, we put ourselves under the authority of the Holy Spirit, who's coming tomorrow when we open up the book again. We're against time now, so we're going to have to call it to a close. But thank you, brother, for uh, joining us today. I'd like to officially thank my guest, the Reverend Jacob Urkamp pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Noblesville, Indiana. Again, thanks for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Folks, tomorrow we're going to journey to the momentous day of Pentecost when we open up chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descends upon the apostles, granting them the ability to speak in languages that they had never previously learned, or at the very least, allowing others to hear them. So we'll, we'll discuss uh, the differences and lots more tomorrow, but it ushers in a new era for the growing church, so don't miss it. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong name.